Richard Howard, who works out of the AWS London office, has interviewed a number of angel investors about the mistakes first-time founders should avoid, why CEOs should be open to mentorship, and more. Hi, my name is Richard Howard. This is the AWS Angel Investor Podcast. With me today is Richard Fern, a prominent angel investor in the London startup scene. He has made 70 investments in companies such as Brawley, What Three Words, and So Far Sounds. He also runs the uh, Friday Club London, which we'll talk about later. Richard, thank you for joining me. Uh, thank you. Uh, wonderful to be here. Could you give us a little bit of your background, who you are, uh, what you do, and kind of what you did before investing? I think before we do that, should we set the scene a bit? feels like we're in uh, an AWS server farm in Alaska. Uh, we're in a dark cupboard. There's a dusty light bulb above us. Uh, Richard's wearing an all-in-one furry onesie. I've got a Chewbacca outfit on, and we're both vaping. Uh, some of that's true. <laughs> Some of it's not. We don't vape, for example. Anyway, well, we, yes, we are so, yeah. in the, the server farm in Alaska. We can't tell yeah. you exactly we where tell you in Alaska. Secret, secret location. Yeah. Although the heating's good. <laughs> Although not too good, because that could be dangerous. Uh, yeah, so what was the question? Slightly, <laughs> slightly went off there. What did you do? You know, what's your background? Before investing, uh, you know, who were you? Was I anyone before investing? Uh, so two things, really. There's sort of two questions in the why uh, did I make the decision to start angel investing? One is I spent 17 years in advertising uh, as a suit, the slightly derogatory name suit, which basically means that you're the person who runs everything. And if it goes wrong, you get uh, you're the center of the trouble. And if it goes well, you know, everyone else takes the glory apart from you. So um, imagine a sort of Jerry Maguire figure floating around the advertising industry. So I did that for 17 years around the world here, Australia, Singapore, and had a tremendous amount of fun doing so. The reason it's relevant is that I probably worked on every possible type of industry you can imagine from uh, uh, to, from shampoos to alcohol to automotive to computing to mobile. And what I saw, obviously, during the early noughties was the massive impact of technology. Um, and I think particularly with Web2, the iPhone, how everything changed. And the frustration being in the role I was was that, um, you know, clients would come to us and say, look, here's some fundamental problems we have in our industry. And we'd like you to do an ad to solve them. And we're like, well, you know, I'm feeling that maybe that's not going to be the answer. Advertising solves everything, right? Advertising <laughs> solves everything, apparently. So, of course, you can uh, sell a bad product. Um, so, I get, you know, I got slightly frustrated because actually what you wanted to say was that there's some fundamental kind of service product changes you can do here. But we'd be the ad agency saying it and they'd just say, yeah, that's, that's nice. Can you get back in your box and give us a pretty ad, please? You know, so that ultimately became frustrating. But I think what I eventually did in advertising was start to move more towards kind of, I guess, you know, digital transformation, you know, where technology was having an impact and kind of lean more into that. Uh, again, in a pretty lightweight uh, way versus what I now see and what I now invest in. But I had a massive curiosity into how it was changing the world. Uh, and so when I left in 2010, you know, someone asked me just to look at a, a, an investment deal just just by chance. And it took me around the world. It took me doing due diligence all over the place from here, Hong Kong, Shenzhen. And I found the whole process fascinating. The company was an absolute dog. I didn't invest <laughs> in it, fortunately. But, um, but you know, it gave me uh, a little taster of, of what investment could be and sort of what what you'd get to see. So I got kind of excited about that. And then the other answer to your question, which is, you know, I guess, how do you 
uh, you know, because one thing, the fact is you need money to uh, be stupid enough to angel invest. Uh, it is a high risk and slightly mad thing to be doing, particularly uh, full time and I guess on the level that I do. Uh, and that largely came from from being lucky enough to be in property in the late 90s, um, making some money there and then reinvesting into a, a company that my father was building. He was the first true entrepreneur uh, I ever came across and uh, and kind of seeing that grow over time. So the point by by the time I was frustrated by advertising aged 35, two kids heading for a divorce and needed a change in my life, I fortunately was in a position to do so. So um, I was lucky enough to be able to kind of look into uh, angel investing. Awesome. So you mentioned that you, the first investment deal that you had a look at was a last of the dog, you didn't invest. What was the first company that you did invest in? The first company I did invest in was a company then called um, Planvine. Um, and they were, I guess, essentially going to be a little bit what Dojo was later, which is really an events finding yep. uh, app, um, which was revolutionary in 2011, let's be clear. And <laughs> Everything was revolutionary uh, yeah, back then. Every pretty app, much, yeah, you could get like a $100 million much. valuation for, yeah, for yeah, any kind of yeah. app. You mean I can get to the front of the coffee queue with this? This is amazing. Where yeah. do I sign up? Um, yeah, it was a little bit like that. Um, but they... I saw them in a pitching event. And this is one of the you know, things that you do when you're starting to invest. You go to kind of angel pitching events. Uh, you go to demo days. You try and, I guess, immerse yourself in the culture around startups as much as possible in order that you're coming across enough pitches to try and understand the good from the bad. Uh, and what I saw in the team pitching was uh, a bunch of very, very bright guys with a lot of integrity. And they had a, a strong vision, perhaps were slightly conservative in their vision. But the, I guess the good news is, even though that didn't become uh, the uh, first unicorn uh, out of London, uh, they are still going. They're now called Lineup. They essentially produce one of the finest uh, ticketing experiences in London theatre and, um, you know, are, are still doing pretty well. They're actually becoming, you know, a, an actual business that makes money, um, which was a terrifying prospect back then because we assume that you just make money by asking investors for it rather than actually making pay yeah, so for a service. They're making a profit, they're not just burning they cash? Are actually, they are actually making a profit. So it's, We're going to have to get them out uh, of the startup uh, yeah. club then. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I'm at the door with my dividend bucket. It's not, it's not, <laughs> been, it's not been filled yet, but uh, there is hope there. But you know what, I, I guess one thing that, I, uh, that, you know, that was true there was, you know, you invest so heavily in people. And yep. uh, I think having met, you know, now thousands of entrepreneurs um obviously you you get more attuned to to who you think can make it and who not but one of the things that is true of all the best entrepreneurs i work with is they do have a restlessness they do have a a resourcefulness to continue even when it gets incredibly hard uh and the fact that those guys are still going uh and have kind of turned it into an actual business is all you know hats off to them they did incredibly well yeah, no, I remember I met the the lineup guys when it was lineup. Mm. So this was when I was running my company back in 2014 because they were at Warner Yard, if yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah they so, were. All right, so it's great to hear that they're still going. <laughs> yes, they are. That's 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 what is that? That's seven years. So pretty damn impressive. That is pretty good. Cool. So that was your first investment, and then how did you scale up, or how did you decide this is actually what I want to do more of and continue to do it? And and how did you scale up and then start you know to meet more startups and do kind of uh, I, I, I clearly failed to learn the word no which <laughs> is one of the early problems uh you know you mentioned warner yard and uh you know there was a, a sort of mini ecosystem there of investors who were, were kind of new to uh investing and 
wanted to behave a little bit differently to, um, I think, how European investors had been up into that point. You know, the ecosystem then was incredibly undeveloped. You know, it's still developing in in, in London and Europe and and obviously is some way off the West Coast, but is certainly in a, a, a more robust place than it was back then. What it needed, uh, or one of the facets it needed to start growing quickly was a bunch of new investors who were prepared to do it as a more as a full time thing to take it way more seriously, to uh, have very clear processes in place in order that you were not getting in the way of the entrepreneur doing what he should be doing, which is building the business. So that meant that you know you've got people who are prepared to do you know ten deals a year as opposed to one that are clear on their processes in terms of how they make decisions, how quick they make decisions, that they don't sit there being indecisive, asking for repitch after repitch, essentially wasting the entrepreneur's time. You know, there was a bunch of us trying to, to, I guess, change the dynamic in the way. What there wasn't enough of, and there is only beginning to be enough of, I guess, is really exited tech entrepreneurs. And, you know, that's obviously where the West Coast wins hands down, is that there is just a, a massive factory that's been going on for, you know, tens and tens of years. Uh, and whilst we are getting to a stage where more and more people who've been through it, people like yourself who are coming back and starting to invest with the experience, um, there certainly wasn't there. So there was, a, I guess, a gap that needed to be filled by um, people who could come and at least start taking it uh, and treating it in a more professional way. Yeah, no, for sure. When you mentioned kind of earlier when you were talking about getting into to angel investing, you went to, to demo days and pitch events. What do you think, or, or if you were to advise a founder who is just starting out, you've been to a bunch of demo days. I know um, I met you through Techstars. Yep. Um, I don't know if you're still involved with them or yep. um, as well as other, I think you're involved with Seedcamp as well. As an investor, do you think there's a difference between companies that go through an accelerator versus, you know, might have reached out to you or you, maybe you met them, they've been um, introduced to you by, by a founder that you know, uh, they haven't gone through an accelerator. Is there is there a difference? Is there is there a kind of founder who should go through one versus another? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of answers to that one. Firstly, uh, what is true of investment scenes generally is they're kind of like onions and there are multiple layers to them. And the closer you get to that inner layer, the better companies you're going to find. Now, at the very outer layers, you're going to have some sort of, you know, you'll have many of the angel pitching events, right? They're perfectly credible places to pitch, but the chances are the best, the very best companies already known entrepreneurs anyway. So people have been watching them for a while. And when they do pop up and come up with, with their startup idea, they're almost off book as in they almost don't appear in those pitching events. I think the uh, the accelerator is different maybe here in terms of how important it was versus the West Coast. I think uh, outside of you know the YC's uh, West Coast-wise, most of the, the really big guys didn't actually come out of accelerators. You know, sure, Airbnb did strike, whatever, but the big, big guys didn't. Yep. Um, here, I think it's different. We had a very immature ecosystem those accelerators played an incredibly important role in actually building a community around building businesses. So whereas, you know, a US investor might be slightly derogatory about um, demo day pitches and those companies involved in accelerators, broadly speaking, I think it's an incredibly good thing and it's still a viable place to go to find good companies. Yeah. But if you're smart about it, you you are involved with that accelerator. You know, I'm involved with the selection day for, say, Techstars, so I get to see them incredibly early and, uh, you know, I get to help decide who goes through. 
And then equally, I can build relationships with them. So in a way, if I'm going to invest in a company in an accelerator, I probably would have done so prior to Demo Day. Okay. You know, one of my uh, more successful companies, Kalo, um, which was listable then, they just can't seem to decide on the name and just keep changing. You know, incredibly powerful entrepreneur, Peter Johnson. I met him at a selection day. He wasn't going to be getting in. I put a big pitch in to say how good I thought it was because it was from, essentially it was about freelancers. He'd come out of Google and he was just yep. saying that the frustration with how they are sourced and managed and paid is incredibly painful and archaic because he was one himself. Uh, obviously, I always love uh, entrepreneurs with uh, with bugbears themselves. It you know, gives them a passion to solve it. And you know, I had a coffee with him outside of that prior to him going into Techstars and one coffee and in that alone I invested there and then sort of thing because you know, because he was incredibly compelling. And he, during that time, managed to pick up some incredible investors during his Techstars days. Yeah. I mean, he's one, of these, you know, he's one of these guys who you walk in a room with him, uh, very few people come out, you know, not convinced by what he's trying to say. Yeah. And the obviously, the Peter Thiels of this world invested, yeah. you know, as they say, the Richard Ferns and the Peter Thiels, you know. One and the same. One and much. the same. I mean, really. I mean, I think he's now probably doing a podcast somewhere saying, and Richard Fern invested in that one. And, and then next year, you're going to be talking at the Republican convention, right? Of course. Well, yeah, that's where him and I <laughs> do diverge slightly. Slightly. I liked him up until that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I do like Peter, just to be clear. You're great. Yeah. If you, if you want to call invest with Richard in any other deals, he's more than happy to, cool to work with, with your money. We're going to leave politics to aside. Yeah. It's okay. So so what you would say is is now, it's 2019, it might not be so necessary for a founder to go through an accelerator if they want to be part of the ecosystem, if they want to raise money. But if they do decide to go through one, what in your mind is a, and for you, slightly different because you get to meet them beforehand, but say yeah. I'm, an, you know, I'm raising money, not all of the investors will have got to yeah. meet me beforehand. What is making a, what would make a compelling pitch? What does make a compelling pitch at, at demo days, at pitching events, that kind of thing? Well, first, you take a step back from that and to say, focus on making uh, or building a company that is amazing, right? That's that's priority number one. So it doesn't really matter what you go through, where you're seen, uh, that you have a a vision, a big vision. You know, again, this is this is we're not you know, this is not small business territory. The, you know, investors understand we get excited by huge markets, huge visions, and people who are incredibly ambitious to take on the world. Now, the fact is, you know, you're in a global Wild West market. Winning there is incredibly hard, but the game, unfortunately, is you go, you go large or you go home. So actually, big visionary pitches are exciting. You know, I think an important bit of advice about pitching to an angel versus perhaps a VC, although VCs, believe it or not, are humans too, is that it's a very emotional decision for an angel, right? It's yeah. your own money you're giving up. And for that reason, you're incredibly cautious about who to give it to. And when it goes to them, you know, you care about what happens to it. And so you want to inspire those investors. You want to excite them. You want to um, make them believe that you are going to change the world. And I think, interestingly, in 2019, even more than ever, you know, as you said, in 2012, you know, fine, it's a coffee, it's a coffee queue pitch. I'm going to, I'm going to be the app that's in every coffee, yep. you know, maybe great. That's Starbucks and that's probably a big business, right? Maybe there were some investors who got excited by that. But by 2019, I think you need to have something pretty fundamental at the heart of your business to excite people. And that might be about changing some of the more significant problems we have in the world, right? That's what excites people. You know, a lot of businesses with a social impact side excite people, not just because they excite investors, but because they're then exciting customers, they're then excite later investors, you know. You know, they're, they're big issues 
And it's very easy for, a lot easier for an entrepreneur to get out of bed knowing that they're trying to solve starvation than it is to get to the front of that coffee queue. Yeah. So as an, as an investor now versus seven years ago, for, for startups that are, are kind of raising that angel or seed round, is your expectation that they'll have more traction now? You know, they, they, they don't have to pay for infrastructure anymore. They have AWS. Nice, nice plug there. Well, you know, that's what I get paid for. You know, the... Or any other, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, only AWS. Um, you know, so they, so they don't have to pay for infrastructure. The world is, is if it moved on from like purely early adopters versus, versus later adopters. It's everybody has got a, a mobile phone. There's an expectation that people are, are kind of seeing innovation, seeing technology, and, and that, that even within large companies, they should be adopting it. So as an angel investor, when a company is pitching you for that first round of money, do you expect there to be a certain level of traction now versus what might have been in 2012? Now, not to use a founder tactic back at you, but good question, Richard. That's a very good question. <laughs> I will answer that. Um, uh, absolutely. The expectation at every level of funding has grown hugely. There was a period maybe 2014, 15, and for a lot of training from, from accelerators and a tremendous amount of content being out there telling you how to do certain things, how to pitch, what to say and what to have done, people became quite professional at sounding good. So, yep. but actually when you dug into it, what have they really done other than giving me a great PowerPoint presentation? And so now I think it's so competitive out there. You know, the number of pitches I will see versus the one, you know, let's say I see 100 to invest in one or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, that's a lot of pitches. So your expectations must be that I must show a complete resourcefulness of how far I managed to get without taking other people's money. Yep. Uh, and that absolutely, uh, all investors respect uh, that as a, as, a, as a really strong skill for an entrepreneur to have. Because there will be times later in that, in that startup's life when they've got no money again. And yep. they need to be resourceful. And they need to work their way through it. And that's a good early indicator that they have the, the nails to do that. Yeah, I, th I think that's good advice for, for any entrepreneur. The, the longer you can go without raising external capital, yeah. the higher your valuation the, yep. the less dilution you take, the chances of getting a round from, uh, you know, well-known or accredited investors is, is higher. So kind of trying to stretch yourself as far as you possibly can is always, I think, uh, a good thing. Yeah, and it's and it's hard, right? I mean, this this is the crazy thing about being an entrepreneur is, you know, we sort of fetishize how amazing it is to be an entrepreneur, but it's incredibly hard. Yep. And a lot of people have got excited by the idea of being in a startup or starting a startup, but... It's only those who really get that this is going to take a lot of sacrifice to do that are going to make it because you just can't do it part-time. You know, you just can't not make sacrifices in other parts of your life. Yep. If you have a new family in your early 30s, uh, this is not referencing you, by the way, you know, think very hard about doing a startup. That is, that is next to no money for three years. That is probably not great money for particularly living in a city like London for the next three years. And the chances of you then getting someplace where it all is, you know, unicorns and fun, fun shine is 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 limited, right? So, uh, you know, most fail. Yep. So be very cautious before you go on that journey and know that when you're on it, it's going to take full commitment. And and the more you give, the more respect you'll gain. And it's not just the lack of money. It is the time and Absolutely. effort that you have to put in. So, yeah. you know, I've been, I've, I've been a founder. I've worked at startups before and... You know, as as somebody who who likes to think of himself as like an entrepreneur, kind of resting, yeah. I'm always thinking about you know what I'd like to do, what I'd like to do next. 
And I just know right now, um, so Rich and I were talking bef- before we started recording that um, I've just had my my third child. I don't have the energy to go and do my own startup. I just don't, like, I, 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 you know, I've... I've done it. You have three startups. I have. You need I have, to work I have on them for the rest of your life. Three startups. <laughs> I hope all of them become uh, billion-dollar valuations, and then I don't have to do anything. Yeah. This is the other thing I've just thought of is why I became an investor, and uh, basically, it's in order that my kids have got fifty companies they could have working experience in later <laughs> to get inspired as the next generation of entrepreneurs. It's very useful. Although, to be clear, all friends of mine, uh, next year's work experience uh, places are closed, yeah. so please don't call <laughs> me about them. Or it's just a way to make sure they don't have any inheritance, so they don't turn into like you know yeah, those spoiled yes. rich kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not. It's gonna they're gonna have to be resourceful, <laughs> yeah. resourceful as uh, I'm gonna get them living on the floors of startup uh, startup uh, flats, so they learn the hard way. Absolutely. Um, so now you've done um, 70 investments. You've met untold numbers of uh, of founders. Is there any like big mistake founders are making when they meet angel investors that they should be avoiding? Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's obvious things. There's there's personable things. There is always, even if a investor meets you in a cafe, you're having a coffee meet, even though it may appear to be a casual chat, it is an opportunity to give them the pitch. Yeah. So even though he may be relaxed and informal, think about the fact that he still wants to hear your passion. He still wants to hear your vision and your desire to make this work despite the casual environment you are in. And as I said, it's still a very much an emotional pitch. So he wants to connect with you. So so confidence, good. Arrogance, no. There's always a fine line between the two. And again, he's giving up his own money. So never, ever take that for granted. Um, you know, it's a significant thing. Uh, I definitely think there's, a, there's, a, there's also lessons in post-investment as to how you behave. You know, the smartest... And here's a, here's a general thing. The smartest entrepreneurs, whenever they meet anyone, irrespective of whether that person's going to, whether that's a business contact, an investor, or whoever, and whether they're going to invest or not invest, is that they go, is it all right if I put you on our updates letter? Right? Yep. And it's a really simple thing. But it's kind of going, I then will be hearing from them every month, whatever, Don't let's not go nuts on the updates, but I know what's things going on in their, in their uh, company. They are creating a narrative of advancement yep. in order that when they later come and say, look, we're uh, you know, doing a bridge round, we're in between, love you to come in. You know, I at least have some context. I, I understand where they're at. I'm excited by what they've achieved. And it makes the sell much easier. Yep. If people say no initially, it does not mean, right, never call them. Right, screw yeah. them. Who are they? You know, that's just silly. All right, build an army of advocates around you of whatever ilk and treat them well and later it will come back to you. It's, you know, it's a boring pay it forward philosophy, but in this ecosystem beyond any other, it works. Yeah. Thinking of all the startups and founders that you've met, your inbox must be flooded with monthly updates of different startups. Yes, that's why my lovely PA, Sadie, uh, does, you know, rafts through some <laughs> and maybe, you know, lighten up my inbox occasionally. Doesn't mean don't don't stop sending them. If I want to know, I will find out. And they are there still to look at. So they are never deleted <laughs> until read, of course. And now, so after those the 70 investments, have you developed, uh, you, you mentioned you have to have, you know, a passion, you have to have the people, the, the entrepreneurs themselves to have a passion. Have you developed something like a, a thesis or, you know, a way that you're judging potential investments before you, you look to write that check? Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one um, in the sense that I think every time you think you've cracked a code, the code changes. So it's incredibly hard. There's obviously a bunch of 
you know, obvious DD things you're going to do about product and market and technology and defensibility and all those things that kind of go, okay, this is a huge opportunity. Uh, what they've achieved so far is solid. What they're saying is true. Um, you know, that's another thing. As founders, you're allowed to add an extra 20%. That is that is expected. Um, but let's not add an extra 200 that clearly is just untrue when you actually look, you know, one step deeper. Um, so there, there's, there's, there's all those things that are markers, if you like, to say, yeah, this seems sensible. But really, I care mostly about the people. I care about how much they care. It's very clear someone who really cares versus someone who doesn't. You know, I will do, uh, I will check all their recommendations. I get other people to tell me about them, what they think. So I'll definitely check into their network and and that sort of thing. But I will spend mostly time with them. I'd rather know more about them yep. than I would really about the business to a degree. Because once you've got the basic idea, you know, I, I, there's two things that I love. It's like, I love inspirational people have a massive passion for things. And obviously, I have my own peccadillas about what I think is uh, a business I'd like to be in the world. Okay, yeah. And those would be, I'm very individual, those would be very different from other investors. And unfortunately, the annoying thing for founders is you can't go, oh, he's that type who does that. I mean, my portfolio is full of companies from a pretty damn diverse collection of business uh, cases. So I'm not easy to pin down in that sense. But the one thing that unites them is a serious passion to change something of significance in the world. That's pretty awesome. Well, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as we were talking before, you've, you know, you met hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs. Is there a way that you have to to manage your deal flow? Is it easy to get in touch with Richard Fern if I've never met you before? And I'm just like, I have an incredible startup. We've we've done what you said. We've, you know, we've got to point X with 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 nothing. And now I, I need to raise that round. I want you to be the guy who, who maybe leads my angel round or at least mm. invests. The, I mean, the the fact is, of course, you can get me on LinkedIn, and of course, on LinkedIn, I tell you an email, and you can get to me that way. The general rule, as I think is across the board for most investors, VCs included, is that warm introductions matter. Which is another reason why every person you meet of significance, find out who they are, what they are, what they know. Note them down, and and if 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 you think and 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 be do good stuff for them, and they will you know later pay me invest uh, may introduce you to people. Yep. You know, use network wisely. You know, I've got you know whatever you know like you several thousand people on LinkedIn who I know, and if you don't know one of them somehow or someone connected to one of them, yep. where have you been? <laughs> you know, in Europe, it's not it's not you know the entire investment scene is not huge. You know, there's there's probably in terms of serious investors, you know, probably. Barely 500, maybe 1,000 who are, are, are really, really active. Uh, you know, those are the people to circle around. If you're at enough events and you're in um, Accelerates, whatever, you will eventually come across these people. Yeah. So just almost do a lot of that networking prior to the need so yeah. that they are coming across you before you're saying, I want money. Because they're like, oh, all right, how are you? I know you. This is good. How's that going? This yeah. is going to be an easier conversation because I already know that. Yeah. And it's also something once you've raised money, don't start. Richard mentioned the kind of the update emails, but also, you know, meet people in person, I think. Yeah. Um, don't just like, oh, thank you for thank you for your cash, sir. Here's an, a monthly update email. I'll talk to you in person again when I need more cash. Yeah. And, and you know, it's different investors want different things. And I I'm quite specific in terms of what I bring, which is really, I do 101 in marketing, but I know gazillions of people are better at it than I am. I help with fundraising and I'm a shoulder to cry on, right? And <laughs> the last one's used more than most, uh, <laughs> let, let me tell you. And I kind of go, look, I'm not going to get in the way of you entrepreneur. I invest in you because you are there to build that business and you can do it better than anyone. Any advisor says I know better than you is mostly 
just bigging themselves up and it's a lie. So just call on them when you think they're needed. But absolutely, if you haven't seen them for a while, just go and see them because actually they'll go, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Uh, let me introduce you to this guy over here, the head of so-and-so, which is, you know, your next customer. You know, just use them sensibly. Yeah. We were talking before we started recording about some of those 50 companies which are still alive and kind of the the ones that are scaling and, and you're you're helping with. How are, how are you helping? What are you seeing in those companies that have kind of got to that point of scaling? Is there a common denominator that they all have or is it different across the board? And how are you as an investor kind of getting there and, and kind of helping them grow even more? I think, I mean... There's loads of very different businesses, so sure, they have different uh, individual challenges in the markets they are in. However, there are some obvious things that uh, need to be put in place prior to scaling. You know, One, your operations inside the business, how it works, how efficient it is. Your management team, are these the right management team to scale this business? And that's something that people forget. And again, you know, an entrepreneur's journey from the beginning to the end, you know, let's say is is going to be at least probably 12 to 15 years, at least realistically, if you're going to be the company that IPOs or whatever it might be. Uh, that is a very long time. The skill set required by, of a CEO founder from the beginning scrappy part into the scaling part into the professionalized kind of markets part are incredibly different. And there are very, very few entrepreneurs that are going to make it through all of those 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 journeys. So one thing to do prior to, say, a Series A raise or prior to, I guess, a scaling growth phase is to ensure that these basic tenets are in place. Is the management team right? Is operations right? Is the culture and purpose of the business very clear? Because as soon as you then go to market in a very big way, you have very deep, you can't pull it back so yeah. well and you can be in a real mess real quickly. Uh, and not to big up uh, someone who's already got a head that's massive enough, but uh, the likes of Multiple and Gabby Kane's crew, you know, they're very good at stopping you just before that series and going, look, have we got our stuff together? So, you know, I'll use partners like that to put them into these companies and say, look, let's talk, let's see what you think, uh, and if things need to change, let's invest in them now. That's a, that's some obvious ones, I guess. Okay, that's awesome. Um, I just wanted to touch on the Friday Club. Mm. Tell us what it is, what it's about. What the hell is that about? Uh, so um, I left uh, marketing, a marketing career, if you like, and I had a considerable network and I had colleagues who had, had, had large networks. In fact, my co-founder, a guy called Matt Wells, uh, was a talent scout for a long time in the sort of communication marketing industry. So he had a huge network of very talented people who were now coming into quite senior roles in a lot of, uh, a lot of major businesses. These guys were really thirsty for insight into what was going on at the forefront of technology. You know, what's coming through in my industry, what's making changes. So on one side, you've got a need. And then I was working with, you know, thousands of entrepreneurs who were completely underestimating the need to understand uh, what their brand is. You know, what is the purpose of the business? What is the core of their business? Now, a lot of them go, yeah, we don't really do marketing until we do AdWords or we do this or SEO or whatever. Uh, we, pay like, the, we pay the Google tax. Yeah, we pay the good tax. Yeah, yeah. No, no, this is about the soul of who you are and, the, and what you'll be saying to your employees, to your investors, to your customers and the world. And there was a real need to get that advice and get that point across. So essentially, I set up a nonprofit that put on uh, a monthly event called the Sessions. On one side, I put sort of 40 or 50 of the top mentors, marketing mentors in the country. 
Uh, on the other side, four or five startups, and all they had to do was present, here's who we are, here's what we do, here's a marketing challenge we currently have. And for three hours, they, that, that group will dive into that challenge and help them out. You know, it's everyone gives their time for free because actually the the only, you know, the, the, in 2012, there weren't many of these events around, particularly in marketing. Now there's lots more. But the one thing that we do, and we do well, and that's because I'm lucky enough to meet so many companies, is that we'll guarantee that the entrepreneurs we put in that room are incredibly inspirational people. If they're working on businesses that got nothing to do with marketing, nothing to do with your world, believe me, spending four hours in a room with them, you will come out thinking that you can start your own business. Yeah. <laughs> Most of you can't, but um, you know, really inspired to, to go about it. And then equally, the, uh, the founders will go, wow, I've just had access to you know, the marketing head of Coca-Cola, BT's Innovation Ed, the head of Saatchi's, whatever it might be. You know, and they come out going, well, that was all for free. You know, I've been to a lot of these. I thought, whatever. Yeah. And then I did that and I said, you know, to just tell me what we thought after. I said, wow, that was amazing. And actually, there's a, there's a funny story called Murat Mutla is the founder, co-founder of uh, Marvel Prototyping. Yep. He was, because um, he's such a great salesman, he was crowded out on, on a, uh, a round uh, when I wanted to invest. And I said, this is great. Where do I sign up? He said, well, you know, we're just oversubscribed here, so you can't sign up. <laughs> and rather than, you know, throwing, you know, my toys out the brand, which I was doing in my head, but fortunately, you know, kept it together. I said, you know what, why don't you just come along to the Friday Club? Come along to the Friday Club anyway. Just, you know, let's, I'll see if I can help you anyway. Uh, and he came on the Friday morning. Uh, by five o'clock that afternoon, I was on that cap table because he just <laughs> went, wow, what what access you have to this network. And so for me, it's been a very useful thing to, to continue to build network on both sides, yeah. to be useful to the ecosystem um, when I'm not just, you know, giving the money and advice, just yeah. go, look, there's other things I can do for you here. Uh, and it really helps with, you know, business development for my portfolio because I know now so many people in senior positions in lots of companies. Yeah. And and it's like, well, a soft introduction to me will be very different to a startup just calling up and yeah. saying hi. So if, if I'm an entrepreneur, uh, how do I get access to the Friday Club? What if is you, the best way? If you go to, thank you for allowing me to plug the Friday Club. But, I've already plugged uh, AWS, so I feel like we can plug yeah, AWS. So it's only fair. Or any other one. No, no, only <laughs> AWS. Uh, if you go to www.the-fcl.com, uh, you will find a place where you can sign up and we will get back to you as to whether or not you've got in or not. Or, and this, well, I was tempted to say Sadie's actual email there, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. She loves she loves people just contacting her for this. So, yeah, him, him and Kerry give out his email address yeah, yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So. yeah, but he's mad. So, you know, why would you do that? <laughs> uh, Sadie uh, at the uh, dash fcl.com. Uh, if you say that uh, you're interested in the Friday Club, just give us a little bit of details about your company uh, and we will get back to you. Obviously, there is a fairly long list. We only do between sort of six and eight events a year now. We've cut back a little bit just to make sure they're super high quality. Um, but uh, please do get in touch. We uh, hope hope we can help. Awesome. So I've I've kept you for for probably long enough. You've got companies to go and invest in. So I've just got a couple of of final questions. I've got literally fifty calls here, like every day. Every family oh, is so popular. Like, yeah. Just give me yeah, more yeah, money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny when you have money, they get really popular. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that about life. Yeah, yeah. So do you act as a lead angel in, in these investments, or you tend to kind of take a? a it's uh, that's a, a good question actually because the the lead the lead on investment rounds is is always a bit contentious. Um, like mostly people don't lead because uh, they can't be asked because it's a bit of a it's a bit of a herding cats thing. It's a bit of a hassle, and some people obviously feel they're too inexperienced too, and that's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, essentially, my rule is I generally don't. But if a founder says, "Look, we are struggling to get a lead," could you step in? I'm more than happy to do so yeah. on that on that front. Uh, you know, a lot of VCs don't like to do it. Early stage VCs, so it often does come down to a founder or a syndicate to do that. Sorry, an angel or a syndicate to do that. So I am happy. I'm literally today just uh, have just done just that. So just to put the money where the mouth is, I was actually leading just this week. Awesome. And you know who you are, who I led for, and you know it was a favor, so <laughs> I expect flowers. Um, so, so when you're leading, or even when, when actually you're not leading, how do you think about valuation? How should the entrepreneur think about valuation and kind of coming to an agreement with their lead? Valuation's a funny old sausage, isn't it? I mean, it's definitely art, not science. Uh, it is the what will the market be? Buy, yep. you know, how much do they believe that uh, I can justify this? And, you know, I think to to get away with a sort of, you know, four million plus valuation when you're in seed or pre-seed stage, you better have something pretty goddamn special. Yep. Um, and the fact is it usually equalizes with conversations of just going, really, how can you actually generally justify that? I mean, you're pre-product, you're dreaming. You know, so you end up getting to a sensible place and it's a little bit like, well, how much equity do I actually want to give away at this stage? How much am I going to need? You know, these early stages, you probably not want to give away some more than 15% in these very early rounds. So you can kind of extrapolate a little bit from that. And, you know, if you don't want to give away more of the company, then you just have to raise less money. And that's just the, the fact of it. Paul Graham said, like, nobody is going, you know, what was the valuation of Twitter in its first round? No one really cares. Uh, it isn't that important. What you don't want to do is set the valuation so high that if you don't achieve the KPIs in the next 18 months, you're going to end up with a down round anyway. Yeah. And it's not good for anyone. So just be sensible. You know, actually pushing in a high valuation is not a very sensible move. A, a middle-of-the-road sensible valuation where everyone kind of gets broadly what they wanted in that round, you know, that's that's a wise idea. Don't die over it. Yeah, It's not going to make a difference. No, I, I think the thing that the entrepreneurs need to be aware of is that the valuation they have at that round of investment isn't what they're actually worth. It's what they're expected to be worth. Yeah, yeah. this is all about potential, future potential. Yeah. You know, because if it was based on what they're actually worth at that time, we'd be sub 10 pounds mostly. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so last couple of questions. What is the best advice you would give to an entrepreneur? Not not about raising money, but really about making a success of their business. What should they be focused on? You mean that? apart from don't be so mad as to be an entrepreneur? That one. I'm going to okay. We're going to assume that they already are slightly they, mad. Yeah, they've, and they've already that, that's gone. Yeah. Uh, look, find something that you really, really care about because getting out of bed with a day full of so many fires to put out for the next 15 years is a lot easier if it's about something you really, really care about yeah. uh, and that you really want to change. And not only that, is everyone can see the fire in your eye versus I'm getting up there just to do a startup and you know, blah, blah. It's like care, because uh, care and go and change the world. And and believe me, you know, here's an example. So what three words? Uh, that was originally pitched to me. Uh, you know, Chris was in the, uh, he was in the music industry. He got frustrated by music equipment turning up down the road from where it was meant to be. So he was like, well, the postcode system's broken in this country. And as an investor, you're kind of going, it is a bit, isn't it? But it's not really, is it? That's not a massive, massive thing. And he was like, well, it's like, find your mates at Glastonbury. You go, yeah, it's a bit of a hassle, you know, but it's not a massive thing. It's not a world-changing thing. And, you know, when they started to refocus the thinking behind the business to give addresses to the two billion people on earth who have no identity in society, you suddenly go, well, that's a bit more exciting to get out of bed. That's a more exciting company to go and work for. That's a more exciting company to go and invest in. Yep. You know, and it's a huge shifting of things. So... Think very hard about the big problem you want to solve and make sure it is a pretty significant problem. And yeah, that's going to be hard. Yeah. And that's just the fact of 
going into the mad well of entrepreneurism. <laughs> it's hard. It, re- it really is. And the last question that I've asked everybody, so Bessemer Ventures has this very famous like anti-portfolio companies that they met, that they could have invested in, that they didn't, and then went on to wild success. Is there a particular company that you met that pitched you that you turned down that has gone on to, to incredible success? Um, I think the only obvious one would be transfer-wise. Okay. I think, you know, I foolishly just... I, my mind goes numb whenever anyone talks about fintech or anything in the financial world, unfortunately, for my own good, which is, yeah. well, I don't even like numbers, which is, uh, <laughs> as an investor, is probably not a great thing. You know, but that, I guess that's the, the most obvious one that, that's gone on to great success. But you know what? I, I have absolutely no regrets about yeah. it. Those guys deserve it. They've done an amazing job. And of the 50 children I'm still nurturing, I think they're all wonderful and they're all going to get there eventually. Uh, but no, generally, I think, um, you know, they've done an amazing job. And I don't think you can have regrets on this oh. one. It's it's just, uh, you'd, there's no point dying with regret. Absolutely. All right. Richard Fern, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts.